On this episode of The Dusty Allen Show, I catch up with former professional basketballer Greg Heyer. Now the founder of his own charity, A Stitch in Time, we discuss the importance of knowing your role in a team, as well as knowing your role in the broader community. He also shares a pivotal moment in his life that took him away from a dangerous path that could have had him ending up in jail. We also discuss the ongoing stigma around mental health and the impact that that can have on the community. So come on in. Water's great. And now listening to the Dusty Allen Show. Welcome to the Dusty Allen Show. Welcome to the Dusty Allen Show, Greg Heyer. Thanks, mate. I was expecting a, a bit of a like walking down the red carpet and a, and a proper intro, but I'm no. I, you get that. I do all that stuff in post. Yeah, yeah. Okay, in the, in okay. the, the amazing editing studios we got here. So yeah, that's what I'll give like the yeah, you know, almost like the the starting five stuff. And now yeah, something like that. Was, so that's what I was hoping for. I mean, obviously, I know I'm retired, um, but that's what I you know to, to get my my juices flowing. Um, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls intro. Um, I mean, you're happy enough to do it. I'm happy enough for you to do it right now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, how tall are you? It's, yeah, it was like six six, 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 six. on a good day. Grew up from the KGB. Um, yeah. Well, so. what's the what's the what's the KGB? Kondula Gerwin Balga, brother. Oh right. Okay. Well, so my like, even though I've spent a number of years in Perth, my northern suburbs and like far northern suburbs uh, knowledge is not is not that great. But so you like born born and bred. Northern suburbs? Uh, yeah, mate. Like, um, actually, really, really unique story um, in a way. Like, I had the, um, as my five years to 10 years, it would have been the best time of my life because I had um, a bunch of mates, like a lot of mates from a lot of different nationalities. Um, because my mum, we, we, my parents immigrated from, uh, from Hungary as illegal immigrants. Um, and illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants, like, um, and I didn't know this story until oh, like actually like as a professional career. Um, and, it, and it's, it's uh, so, so bear with me on this little journey. No, no, we, we, we've as, got time, mates, while we're here. As a, as a young kid, like my mum's primary um, occupation, cause obviously like a lot of the people when we were living in Balga were similar circumstances, like immigrated over here. So looking for jobs. So mum's job was a babysitter. So we literally would have like 14, 18 kids. It was obviously not the legislation that's required for a babysitter now nowadays. So is it, is it like uh, an au pair or strictly just a babysitter? No, no, no. Like strong, yeah, strictly babysitting. But I would remember this home, like we would just have like, yeah, mum would be teaching classes, painting on the lawn. Like I'd have, I remember the mate called Stephen and then like then two weeks later you would never see him again because like <laughs> it was just drop-in, drop-in service. But the, the reason I found out um, when I was playing Wildcats, I literally was on a road trip and uh, my very first year as a development player, I only trapped like, cause I wasn't contracted. So I only played home games um, unless there was an injury. And um, unfortunately, big Matty Knight suffered a few injuries in his time. He got, um, I, I went away to Sydney cause he was just recovering from an injury. And so they brought me as an emergency and um, yeah, he got, concussed on the Friday, I think. 
uh, in Sydney and we were traveling to New Zealand on the Sunday. And um, so like, I literally was like, as soon as it happened, I was on the bench and I was like, oh no, like this is not good for me because I didn't bring my passport. I just thought like I was going to go home straight <laughs> from Sydney. And so, yeah, I'm in the change rooms and the coaches pull me aside and like, hey mate, you're going, to, you're going to New Zealand, congratulations. And I'm like, cool. And like they're like, why are you not chuffed? And I was like, because I don't have a passport here. So like obviously that whole night we're like trying to find it. And I couldn't find it at all. Like asked my my, um, my now what? Well, she was, we were married then. But like, you know, her house, my house, my father-in-law. So like all day Saturday I went to Sydney, obviously like, and we went to the embassy and I was trying to get like a passport within like a day to try and get out to the flight the next day. And um, so it's amazing when they say like, you know, give yourself like time because it's definitely the case. So I got there and like literally rocked up and they're like, hey, can you, um, yeah, to get your replacement passport, you're going to need forms of identification and you know, whatever. And because you had lost it, you have to prove it like it was stolen or lost or whatever. Mm. But they said like, can you provide these forms of identification? And it was like, can you provide your passport? And I was like, well, no, because... And obviously it wasn't lost. It was just that you didn't have it with you, correct? No, it was lost. I honestly didn't know where it was. Like, because we were trying to get it out on a flight the next morning. Like, We would have actually flown someone, like someone was going to fly from the Wildcats, drop off the passport or like, you know, and then go back. But I couldn't find it. But they were like, can you supply a passport? And I was like, if I could supply a passport, I wouldn't be here. And then they're like, can you provide a birth certificate? Yep, awesome. Can you provide this? And then they say, can you provide your parents, um, like register, like uh, citizenship papers or something like that? Mm. And then, um, so I, I was like, yeah, cool. Call my mum up, and um, and she was like, uh, no, I can't. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, we literally were like illegal immigrants. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, yep, back however many years ago, they um. They had a choice. Um, leaving Hungary wasn't a really good situation. They were like, you can either go to Canada or Australia. And once you get into Australia, you'd be in a, in a location, the KGB, mm. for three months. And then you're on your own devices. And so that was it. She came in. They put her up like as, a, as an illegal immigrant, not like what it is now. They don't get sent to Nauru. And, um, and so, yeah, she didn't speak a lick of English. The way she learned English was Jehovah's Witness, like people that came around and yeah. she, like, like she knew hey and then she would learn and that was, that was the way. So, yeah, pretty unique um, to think of the circumstances that ever have arisen. And then, yeah, that, yeah, whenever I say I grew up in KGB, I get a lot of people like, yeah, that's sick. But, um, yeah, it's a bit unique. Well, did, did, um, I assume you got the passport. Got the, mate, so that was the thing. So the next day, like I got everything done and I think I had to provide, I think I had another passport, like my kids one. And so I had to provide a photo. And so on the Sunday, I went in, went in there in the morning, provide all the information. I had to get everything faxed. Like it was such a debacle. What year are and we I talking got, here? Is this like mid early 2000s mid 2000s no 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 it would be like 2013 like okay yeah it would oh maybe even 12 like it's my very it was my very first year yeah Uh, so i don't know for some reason i feel like you've been playing for decades mate so yeah well decades 10 years i've played a decade yeah so (laughs) um yeah but they literally issued me a passport within an hour um 
like I, they were like, yep, all right, stay with us. And I was like, okay. And I was within a flight, like I was in the airport within like four hours. Like it was the most unique of all situations. Like, um, yeah. And then played a game like the next day. Is that you? Uh, you got the got the W on the road, did you? No, uh, we got smashed. <laughs> um, no, actually, no, that was good. It was that was actually the start of my career. So, like, in a way, because I always like training and I did really well. And it's all about like, um, on a professional sports landscape, like it's all about opportunities. Like, mm. there are so many athletes out there that I might not even just sports, like in life in general. Like, there's some people that are like extremely talented, and it's like the opportunity that exists and. So that happened and I went to New Zealand and obviously numbers were a bit down. It's a road trip and they put me in like um, at like pretty critical times. Like I remember even, and I still remember it now, like maybe about four, I made some pretty good plays and then like four or five minutes later, I was still on the court and I remember like driving against like one of the guys that I actually like idolized at the time, Mika Vicona, still plays now. Mm. So it's funny now that I was like, he was my idol and he's still playing. <laughs> Should be the other way around. But he, um, yeah, I remember like driving by him and thinking at the time, like, please don't stuff up, please don't stuff up. And like, he made a good play. And then um, we, I think we made one, actually. I don't know how it was. I was obviously a bit surreal. And then it was the next, um, so I showed myself. And then the next game, we were on the way to Illawarra and we got like pumped. Like we were down 30, 35 um, heading into the fourth. And so I was like, this is awesome because like... Going to get some minutes. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, generally when you're on the road like in that, it's either a blowout or they want you to foul. Like, you know, they don't really... And so, yeah, I was like, okay, here's my moment. And I think I, yeah, well, I know I did. I got like seven rebounds in a quarter and they're like a couple of buckets. And so it was like the one positive that came from the game, like led the team in rebounding and only playing a quarter. And I remember like sitting in the change rooms afterwards and yeah, like, like um, Brad Robbins and Rob Beveridge at the time were like calling out guys just being like, how does a, you know, development player show more heart um, Mm. and grit in a quarter than guys that have spots and stuff. So, but that was that moment where like, you know, a coach goes, yeah, you know what? Like I gave him an opportunity and he took it because there's been so many players I played alongside and I know of a lot of others that I do, they do well at training and they put them, their hand up to be selected and to play. Um, but then once they get in like the, the bright lights, um, they just turn to mud. Like they just don't cut it. And um and you're like, well, you've had your opportunity. Like, you can't be upset about it. And they may have more opportunities. And there's some that just never get the opportunity. So you, bit, you feel a bit for them. But it's all about opportunities at that level. And on, like, obviously, it's well documented. You went on to had a, have a very, very successful career you know, with Four the Perth Wildcats. Um, yeah. How many? Four. Yeah, did, yeah made, made the playoffs every year you were, you were there, yeah. that sort of stuff. If I didn't make a playoffs, that would have been the end of my career. So, like, yeah, that's with the Wildcats. If you and don't make the playoffs, whoever doesn't make the playoffs that year. Yeah, it had to be that to be front page of the West sort of situation. Oh, you'd be right out of town. Um, just just ducking back on that. So, given the, to the passport story, um, mm. I'm not sure if a lot of people will know this, but what's the what name do you have on your passport? <laughs> Oh wow, uh, Gergelay. So how do you, how do you spell that? 
D-E-R-G-E-L-Y. Right. And do, does your mum still call you? Uh, no. Nah. The only time was like when I was in trouble. What about, do you have like a, a middle name, Hungarian middle name? None. Mate, as I said, like we came across here. Mum wasn't like, I was obviously born here. We had no sort of customs. And so like a lot of it's like sort of that tradition, like a lot of the same names in a way, you know. Um, like, Did you get to pick Greg or because it's closest to like, it's almost like an anagram? I know of, uh... how Greg came about. I was just <laughs> like, obviously in primary school. Um, no one could pronounce it. Teachers would like, and I'd, I would cringe, cringe like as the names are going down the roll. Like, you know, they'd be like, David, yeah, you know. Um, All the, John, Cameron, <laughs> Josh. So on, on a serious note though, was did was that something, was it an issue for you growing up being, you know, the son of, uh, of illegal immigrants, that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, I didn't know it. So it was fine, but obviously like, people would know straight away and like I got bullied because of my name so like yeah. that's why we changed the name to Greg because like you could only call, so people would say gurgly that's like how they yeah. would read it just mm. that's the way but when I would say it and I didn't really even know how to pronounce because I was like Aussie mm. um like I'd say gay gay and so you can imagine like young kids would be like oh gay gay like you're yeah, gay and yeah. stuff and so like I mean obviously I've learned I've um matured over the years and become a lot more understanding so you know you wish you could have that like um go but like even like my parents really didn't have an understanding like you know things have changed over the years so yeah it was just a really simple thing and um yeah just on the basketball court as well like you know greg was just a uh it's easy what about your surname is that like your family name yeah that is but it's hero so like yeah again like it's not higher but like it's hairy. So, are you, so when, when you become a global superstar, which you're not far off now, are you going to do like similar line to like Andrew G and, um, and change back to your, you know, go back to your, your heritage? Because uh, I, I loved having hire because yep. it's like now I'm just, I embrace it. And I <laughs> was, I think that was the one regret in my professional career is I never got like a sponsorship. Like Kennard's never hit me up. You know, like, <laughs> Like, I feel like that was like the most easiest, you know, like brand recognition. What about if you just start your own, like Greg's hire? Mate, and, and that's, and that is, I think I remember going by the industrial area of, of, a, of a joint and sort of saw like Greg's hire. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> that's not me. Um, but yeah, like it's been, and there's been a few times, even like during the Wildcats, like yeah, you'd get sponsors hit you up and they'd say, hey, you know, like the marketing person would say, hey, we've got like this sponsorship opportunity or can you do this? And I remember one year, someone's like, oh, we want to, yeah, there's a hiring company or something. Want to, you know, I was like, mate, I think it may have been like thrifty. Yeah. So then they were like doing car hires and then they like went on and I was like, guys, like seriously, there's way more different ways you can approach this like, we're, we're really sort of skimming over the the opportunity here <laughs> absolutely absolutely now mate at times like i've known you for the better part of oh i reckon eight years seven eight no, years crazy. yeah so i remember you when i first got back to perth after a, a stint overseas so it would have been probably a good mate drake you you 
Drake, that's right. And uh, Adam Tatalovich uh, as well, yes. uh, yes, doing, doing great things in Europe. Um, yeah. now, and one thing that I spoke, like, it was kind of something like, as I got to know you uh, and you know more about what you do on the court, what you do off the court, it's something I feel like we never we never explore like a lot is the fact that, you know, your, your path to becoming a professional basketballer was not necessarily one that was easy. And, you know, I get the impression was borderline unlikely through, you know, some of the things that you went through as like, as a young man, as like a teenager and, and whatnot. Like tell us a bit about your story, like on your path to basketball. Yeah, it definitely wasn't traditional. And it's like, it's funny, I was having this chat with someone yesterday and, you know, as, as professional athletes, especially when they um, transition out of the game, like as they retire, they, um, a lot of um, individuals will struggle without uh, the brand, you know, like the profile, the brand recognition, the, the free stuff. And, um, you know, or, and they, so they either cling on and they... Um, just try and you know do whatever they can to stay in the spotlight, um, and then the other side is they just go silently um, and they just live on their own life. Whereas I've gone the other way and to try and give back in a community sense. And I was asked that yesterday, like, why are you so passionate? Why why do you do what you do? And I was like, it's because of my upbringing. Like, it's it's definitely not been traditional in, in the least. Like, I mean, yeah, I made state teams at the at a certain point, like, and did what you're supposed to do to, I guess, as the, the pathway that's more, more common to, to become a professional athlete in terms of going to college. But in terms of how I got there, definitely wasn't the case. Like uh, I spoke about it, like my upbringing was um, different as a young kid, but then as I got older, like it got um, dangerous. You could say that. Like, I mean, we had a, um, my mum basically raised us from, 13 or 12 or 13 years old um unbelievable woman one of the strongest people I've, I've, i know um and so like with that um i'm six foot six um but i was like six foot five when i was 16 years old so like i was you know my brother like we would hang around it was just me and him um because like mum was away um you know getting an income and so me and him would like drugs alcohol i'd go to nightclubs i'd sleep at ovals um like i'd hang out a lot with uh, with the older crew like demonstrating antisocial behavior and i say this a lot like i'm obviously not proud about it like mm. it's no doubt but it's sort of um well it's definitely it's it's definitely molded me made me the guy i am like sort of uh, made my, my values and and moral compass and allowed me to connect with a lot of people and you know, it's funny, like I look at it, um, I remember like my very first state team, um, very first training session or tryout, like, and I always, you know, politics and sport, no doubt, but, you know, the team was, the squad was made before even the tryout and I, mm. I got cut, like, and I remember um, it's just crazy how things happen. I'm a firm believer things happen for a reason. And I remembered uh, I was at the old Perry Lake Stadium and... Jeez, I miss, miss that place at times, oh, mate. Some mate, good memories funny. there, eh? Oh, absolutely. I think you you can't get a bit of nostalgia when you get like that location. I remember mm. there was my old, old stomping grounds of Wanneroo basketball court too. There were some photos and I was like, I love that sort of stuff. Even like, yeah, they asked, where would you rather play? But I'd rather play in a place where 
didn't really care about like grandstands and seating. It was just how many mm. people could get in there. But so I was there waiting. Um, my mum like was like training got done, um, say at four, and she was like, "I'll pick you up at five thirty-six because that's when she was done at work." So like I just have to wait around. And so I was just shooting around by myself. I was like, "What else can I do?" And I'd just been cut. And so like every all these, and they told all the the other group was like, "Hey, you need to um." Yeah, you're going to do a conditioning session straight after training. But you could, as they walked out the door, like they're all hugging each other, celebrating. And, you know, like, and I was just like, wow, like I wish I just had, you know, to, to try and make team. I was, I was literally one, two, uh, two training sessions and I was done. And I thought I was actually quite good. And it was just random. The head coach was never there for the whole selection trials, only for like maybe a section. And he walked to his car, which was by the court. And he was like, what are you? what are you doing here? I thought everyone was running. And I was like, no, I got cut. And he was like, you got cut. And he was like, mate, that shouldn't have not been the case. And he's like, come back next week. And I battled with that for like um, the whole week. Cause I was like, this is going to be so embarrassing. Like I literally got cut and then I'm going to come into the trials next week. And I don't want to be like the pity guy, you yeah. know? Um, and then anyway, so I just, whatever. And I rocked up. And um, yeah, I ended up like being one star player. I ended up like that's where I started making a name for myself a little bit, um, especially in I guess WA basketball. And yeah, so that's you know like that wasn't that traditional route. Like I never made like an all Australian team, and even um, as an eighteen year old kid, like um, yeah, I didn't go like to a massive college. Um, yeah, I've been against it a, a lot of the time. Um, and I think that's why I really embrace. I think it really, it, it made me, shape me the way I played on the court whilst it was never maybe the most pleasing to the eye. Like I'm not the most athletic, absolutely no doubt. I've always said that. Um, I always was the most passionate or the most, like I could, I, could, I could change a game just through pure desire. Mm. Um, and I think that was even like when I retired, um, you know, I retired on my own accord. Like I didn't retire because um, I was getting injured or um, I was like, yeah, I'm not playing well. Like mm. I still, you know, I still play basketball, um, you know, semi-professional here, but for, for Australia, I'm three on three basketball and so at a high level. But I just got it because what I was investing into the game emotionally off the court, like effort-wise and keeping the group together um, and what I was wanting to achieve for myself, I could no longer do. Like it was like I, I wasn't, don't want to sound selfish, but I wasn't getting rewarded for the work that I was putting in. Like, and that's fine. But we won championships, so you can't complain. Um, but like I was like, well, I'm going to emotionally, inv- I'd rather inv- invest that time into my family and my own endeavors. Like, Are you saying you won't, weren't getting that probably like emotional return on investment from the game? Uh, no, no, no. I was still enjoying the game, but I yeah. mean like, I would have a great week on the training um, track and the mm. way that the system is like um, our head coach plays like guys and if they play well, they just stay on. He doesn't right. just go, Oh, well, you know, Greg's playing well. Let's bring him in as well. Like, you know, we have, we had, I've had, I've played in the last six years behind some studs, you know, like James mm. Ennis goes to the NBA, you know, Tariko White grand final MVP, you know? Mm. So like, it's tough when you're playing behind them. And, and so coach's philosophy, let's play him 30, 35 minutes, you know? And so like I had already achieved a lot. I'd won four championships. So at that time, like I wasn't like, um, don't get me wrong. It's the most 
prove it like such a good role like to do mm. but i was like well i'd rather put the effort um the time um and all that stuff that i'm putting into basketball playing eight to ten minutes i'd rather put that into a charity organization where i can um hopefully impact lives and, and even save lives you know or or into my family and, and all that sort of stuff, which you can't do. So, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, and that's why, like, when I retired, my last game was cool because I sat there, like, you just don't know how that's going to be. Like, no one really mm. has – how many people retire on a win? It's mm. rare, you know. Um, but even the way, like, game four happened, um, like, the game was being toing and froing and something needed to be done. And I had, like, a patch there in the second quarter. Um, yeah, and 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 the things that I'm known for, like O board, effort plays, diving out of the court to save a ball, um, and I was playing with um, like a sprained AC joint. So for the last six weeks of the season, like I had to have like a local um, injected into my shoulder before the game, so I couldn't feel my um, or the shoulder, so I could play. Um, so like it was just all those sort of things, which was like really cool to then like finish up and. Um, like I couldn't, I could have not scripted it better. Like if that makes sense, like, um, yeah, you talk about that. Like if that was a Hollywood movie, like that's how I would write that. Like, yeah, obviously everyone wants to hit the game winning shot. Right. No doubt. But that would have never been me. Like people are like, what, how'd that happen? But for me to like do those things, even like looking back at highlights and I'm like, that was what I was known for like my whole career. Um, and I remember Matt Nielsen, who was the assistant coach, like I remember like when we were um, you know, enjoying the moment and reflecting on that, he was like, he could have not had a better ending just the way he did it. Like it was, you know, as I was subbed out, like I was so gassed for it. Like I had to sub myself out because I was that tired from yeah. trying to change the game. So yeah, it, it's been good. But yeah, I mean, go back to the original. Yeah, it's, um, it's, been, um, it's been an interesting ride. Um, and it's been tough, um, no doubt. Like, I mean, even the way I started, like I, my very first contract, I was on five grand a year. I worked three jobs, you know, like I remember getting my very first pay slip whilst I loved it. Like it said $2.40 an hour from the Wildcats. Like, <laughs> um, but I wanted to put myself in an environment where to put myself in a position. And I, and after that year, talk about opportunities. I was, I'd put myself, I trained, I did everything I could have done. Like I lowered my skinnies, everything that was asked for. Um, and there was no spot. Like there was literally, the team was full. And I was like, well, I remembered like getting Damo, um, Damien Martin at that time was like, mate, there might be a strength and conditioning job. Open up. Do you want to do that? Mm. You know, like, do you want to be, um, help out in the community? Like, and I was just like, I'm, I'm comfortable. Like I've, I've given it a crack for a year. Um, I also love the game. Like, I can't do much more. Um, and randomly, yeah, like two days later, Stevie Way wasn't happy with his role um, or would desired a bigger role and moved over to Adelaide and a spot filled up and then I slotted straight in there. So, yeah, it's been interesting, that's for sure. Safe to say you've, you've capitalised on opportunities and I think made some of your own and you... Like I, the way you speak about the way you play, like I think that's pretty obvious. You know, you're in a leadership role within the team and you brought like, I'm not going to say like barometer, but you, okay. you, knew, you knew what you, can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you, knew what you were going to get with you each week. And I think there's something in that, a bit of like reliable, not going to be, you know, 
got the best box score or filling out the stat sheets, padding that out. But you, it's I, I firmly believe in intangibles in 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 people in any whether it be sport, whether it be any organisation, things that aren't necessarily might not necessarily impact the bottom line of a of an organisation, or but their their value is is can't be can't be can't be missed and stuff and correct yeah i think you know i say this and it's funny the way social media has has evolved over the years um the things that are pretty you know like on the court are obviously always um not sure if exploited but they're promoted and so like for an up-and-coming teenager right they they spend hours upon hours um, trying to perfect something that has no relevance on the court, but it may look fantastic on a video or a photo. And so on that, like, you know, one of the the biggest lessons I learned, um, and unfortunately it was later on in my career, was um, embracing my role, even though if mm. I wasn't happy with the role because um and and being great in that role and that's the that's that's a tough thing to find out like one you have to have a coach that um like has to be honest with you and say here's your role if you do it you'll get minutes and not fluff it because a lot of mm-hmm. them like a, a player goes to a coach and says how do i get more minutes and they give you this and then you know it just it never goes I remember like one year, one year, and it's funny, we talk about like, I get asked a lot, um, you know, like how, what, what's your work piece of advice and like, you know, it's working your weaknesses. But like I was always like working your strengths um, because I remember one off season, I, I, like, and this was my fifth year and I was just a starter. Um, that was my biggest, my biggest year. I'd just been brought into a boomers camp. I was a very late call up, but I won't, won't had you had your passport for this one, mate? You're yeah, ready to go. Had that one. Nah, look, yeah, it was in Perth, so I think that's why Andy. they called, called me up. But, um, but anyway, like, and so I was rolling. Momentum was good, and then, but we had a, a, a change of um, coaches. So Beve left. Trevor Gleason got brought in, and so he changed. He was like, "No, nah, we're going to go with an import three man." And I had just signed like my biggest contract too, so I was like, "Okay, fair enough." And that was. I was fine and so I was like okay I'll prove myself anyway I had a really we won our championship that first year and I had a really good grand final series like actually got like grand final MVP votes and like um yeah had a really good game and the next season um yeah we obviously changed imports and um like got new guys and I remember spending the off season like working um on so many different elements like ball handling and you know whatever it may be to try and get more minutes and uh, prove myself. I remember like the very first drill, like um, did something and um, came off a pick and roll or whatever it may be. And um, Trev was like, what do you, and I made it maybe a successful play. And he was like, what are you doing? You know? And I was like, Oh, what do you mean? And then he's like, that's not your role. Like um, now, obviously that's an ego kick. Uh, like, you know, you're just like, well, hold on. I just spent maybe four months like perfecting, trying to, trying to get better but really it was a waste of time. Like, and so like yeah. after that, it was like, okay, then I f- found out you obviously have to strip so many layers. It was like, and some of that, you know, I'd have to explore myself and be like, these are where I get the shots, you know, like different guys. And um, this is where I'd be good. And then the other side was like, 
there's a reason why um, I was brought into this team. There's a reason why I still keep getting contracts and it's the, the things, you know, like that you're good at. Like if it's offensive rebounding or being a playmaker or a defensive stopper. And it was like the games where I'd struggle is because I'd try and do something a bit new, you know, like or, or try and add something. And then the games where I'd be rolling is because I just stuck to my craft. Um, and so I think it's that like, yeah, figure that out. Obviously, always work in your weeks. There's no doubt. You don't say, oh, I'm dribbling with your left. My left hand is not good. I'm, I'll just make sure I, I dribble with my right. And I'm amazing at it. But I'm just saying there's things that you can do. That. That's not just sport. That's in, in life. You know, like I'm, yep. I work local government right now. And um, same deal. Like there's people that are great communicators. There's people that are great project management people. There's some people that are amazing at... Uh, doing everything that's to the T, like administration, but then they have no people um, qualities, you know? And so, you know, like that's what I think is part of the team, like put people that are good in those roles in certain positions. Um, now, it would be easy just to say, well, how about you just get someone that can do all of it? But it's just not the case, you know? So, um, yeah, I think you just work around that. I think you're spot on there, mate. Like the, I was chatting to... Good friend of mine, uh, Emil Dragon Studham. Uh, he's and you know he works uh, in what like a name. A, yeah, and tra- the, Dragon yeah. in the name. Well, it's That's- like yeah, sort of uh, not self-anointed, but uh, yeah, someone put a picture <laughs> of a. He's a redhead like me, and uh, put a picture of a red dragon up in the. There he is, a red dragon. So it just became Dragon. But uh, he now works in like um, for an organisation called Performance by Design, and is about like. Uh, eliciting elite performance from teams and things. And we were chatting one day, this is years ago now. And he goes, a big misconception is that a lot of people, whether it be sports, whether it be anything, uh, work focus so much on their weaknesses and his theory. And obviously it's not a, not a new theory, not one that he created, but one of the champion was like, in his terms, like bluntly, he's like, fuck what you're not good at. He goes, focus on what you are good at, become a specialist, you know? And, there's a lot to be said for that. Like, yes, don't ignore your deficiencies or your weaknesses. Be aware of them. But, you know, you want to invest in your in your key areas. And I think that flows into also like people as well. Like be aware of like your whole your whole team. But just because you've got someone who's say like an elite performer on a team doesn't mean you ignore them and they'll just take care of themselves. You invest just as much in your key performers, your key areas as you do your areas that need development as well. And I think that's a one, one, that's a huge lesson, and, and two, in sports, and we'll, we'll get to this, and that's why I think like sports are so, I think, are very important in, in the development of people learning life lessons, is that learning early, that particularly if you're in a team sport, know your, know your role, and then I feel it takes a lot of pressure off people. And then you know, know where you fit and you're, it, it, it's a team sport for a reason, you know, like if it, Roger Federer, for example, sure, he probably wants to eliminate weaknesses from his game because he's the only one who can, who can do that. But yeah, in, in sports or in organizations, you're there for a, for a key, key role and just be, be good at that, do your role and then be satisfied with what you can contribute to the overall process. Absolutely. But then, I mean, you, you speak on Federer and you speak on Nadal. Like if you, they all have a, uh, a symbolic trait or something that they're known for. Like Nadal smash, uses his left hand for, forehand mm-hmm. to the point where his arms are significantly bigger in oh. size. <laughs> 
because he knows this is my bread and butter. This is my money maker. This is how I've won how many grand slams. He doesn't go, oh, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll mix it up and go back. Yeah, absolutely, he hits him. But he goes back to what works every single time. And it's the same. Yeah, it's that. And I think you'll see that, like, um, don't get me wrong, there'll, there'll be some, some freak athletes all the time. But I think it's, look at Clay Thompson in the NBA. Like, he's a pure set shot shooter. You know, and he doesn't have it, but he knows that's that's his jam. You know, mm. like, um, yeah. I mean, the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. He didn't just like, you know, he wasn't like, oh, I'm going to add different elements. You know, like he just uh, he obviously was good at everything, but he made sure like his mid range game was superb. Um, and I think once people acknowledge that, and I think, yeah, but it's a tough thing to say that to a 16, 17 year old mm. kid or even a young adult. Um, where they can embrace it and go, I don't know, that's who I am. You know, like it's tough because they're obviously getting molded and they're getting told, oh, do this, do that, do this. Um, but I think once you, you, it's an ego thing. It's like yeah. you have to go accept it and go, sure, it's a, it's a, it's the better for me. Now, something you you mentioned before, obviously, you know, like growing up, you know, um, were you know, you said your antisocial behavior, all that sort of stuff. And then there was, I suppose, like the, uh, would you say like from a basketball perspective, the turning point was running into the coach after the training session. He said, you know, come back from like a personal perspective. Was there ever a point, say, throughout your teenage years um, where you said you potentially could have taken like a different path, that there was a turning point for you to sort of set you somewhat on the path you're on now or anything that sticks out to you? Oh, absolutely, mate. And mentoring has been a massive part. But And before that coach changed my basketball tra- trajectory, um, mate, as I said, like, um, as a 15, 16-year-old kid, like, um, going to Woodville Senior High, like, um, I'd go out um, weekends and, like, I wouldn't, you know, like, as people go to high school parties, like, I was in nightclubs. Like, I'd use my brother's ID and... Um, or to hang out with mates and then sleep in cars, like, you know, and because I was obviously too embarrassed to get home, like, because mum, when she was there, was like, why are you coming home at three in the morning? And so mm. I remember there was like, um, like a really, like, sort of period where I was maybe going out for a, like Friday, Saturday, and, you know, over a few weekends, and it was like a point where, um, like, I was falling asleep, like, at school, but like, even in phys ed, and like, I was just like knackered um, and like, Physical education is everyone's favorite class. <laughs> like EE baby, that's um, <laughs> all good. Yeah. Outdoor ed and phys ed was my what was my jam. Like I used to wag school all the time. So I haven't heard like, the term wag <laughs> in so long, mate. Yeah, that's, that's that's a w, I think love it. Yeah, I don't even know what it is now. So <laughs> you know, like I even I was talking to my wife the other day. Like I'd be like, I just you know, like school was amazing, and obviously I'm like, I feel sorry for my kids because. I, I did every trick under the sun. Like there's no way that they're going to be able to like, you know, um, I had four, I forged signature, like forged um, signatures to say like, this is, I, I, I was leaving. I remember having braces. So I'd like organize appointments. So I had like doctor slips all the time. Like it was a joke. And, um, and it was, so there was at this time where like literally that happened, like I was falling asleep and the basketball coach who was the physical education teacher. He, saw this like acknowledged it and like took me aside and was like mate what's going on like what's happening in your life and didn't really ask me 
like, hey, what's happening? But it was like, sort of, obviously I was like confronted and I was like, didn't really have the trust yet to be like, there was obviously some real deep shit happening in my life. Like I didn't have a father at that time. Like, you know, I didn't have a father figure. Brother was like, um, you know, yeah, just, he was a drug dealer, like all this sort of stuff, right? So pretty heavy stuff. Um, And he just said, look, if, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve in your life? And for me, it was always MBA, MBA, MBA. And um, as it is for a lot of kids, he was like, okay, didn't say like, don't do that. But he was like, if you want to do go to the MBA, it's like going to be a, a pretty tough journey. So like, let's on from, from, and it might've been the Friday or whatever it was, but you're going to come, um, actually would have been the next day. He's like, come because it was Monday and he goes, you're coming to um, training with the older boys at six in the morning or six thirty, um, and you're going to be a part of the team and we'll, we'll continue going and you'll come for every training session. And that was the turning point. Like then, yeah, through that, I started to, yeah, really take a little bit of responsibility on my own life. Um, what, sh- what shifted for you there? Was it the fact that someone wanted uh, you to be part of something or yeah, that like, but just even someone, yeah, that was like giving me a little bit of guidance. I just didn't yeah. have that. Like, you know, instead of, and I think that's why teachers play, like teachers and coaches play like such a significant part in people's lives because for me, I had a void in my life. Like I had no no one mentoring me. I had no guidance. Um, like it was the easy basketball, like people, like a, a, a general teacher, like even the, the head of basketball at the time was just like, you're not going to make it. You're an arrogant dickhead, you know, like you're in too hard basket. Like, yeah, let's leave him to the side and, you know, um like that's it it's easier to like ignore what i'm doing than to actually spend the time investing in the time for me to become successful um in their in their mind and so like yeah i I need that like as much as as i said like it sounds i'm not my mum didn't know what i was doing like for the three months she was away and then when she was at home like i just i was like a really good kid like i was obviously really respectful i didn't go to her i didn't swear in front of her or you know, like all this behavior. Then as soon as she left, like, yeah. So she was unaware of what was going on. Um, yeah. God bless her. She like, even when I speak to her now about, it, she's like, wow, I really didn't know that was going on. So yeah, I, it was that it was having a little bit of guidance and, and structure like, Hey, get here at six 30. We've got this. And that's what I love. Like that was what basketball was about. Like that was my escape. Like it was my sanctuary. I say that like, um, you know, like at 5.30 on a Thursday, whatever was irrespective of what was going on in my life, like I'd get to training and I had my peers there and then I had a coach there and then I'd, I'd be you know, trying to bowl out for a few hours and then mm. obviously I'd hang around because I didn't want to get home and, you know, like I that was my, my moment to just get away. It was my escape. And that's why I even, I say that now, that's why we try and, you know, for a stitch in time, I like try and promote um, the importance of mental health, like from a, from a young young um perspective to adult perspective like people see that as their their safe safe place yep um no judgment um and that was that was big for me that's what sport did for me so on and you you touched on it before because i think that's like i love this sort of stuff you know and it's incredibly important and i think there's always like a turning point where the penny drops or something significant happens for someone where yeah, you know they find something they can be a part of like i think uh, a strong sense of belonging to some for some people it's 
it's it's school, it's sport, it's religion, it's fa- it's whatever you know their work that sort of thing. And um, you've always stood out to me like you're someone that I deeply admire, but you've always stood out to me that you, the stuff you do in the community outside of your sport with the position that you have, being like an elite athlete, someone that people look up to, and well, you and I have spoken about like role models and how you know sometimes the necessarily people are put in positions of role models who don't necessarily deserve to be there nor want to be there just because they're good at sport or they're famous or they can sing well or whatever but you've always done like there's there's a lot of athletes out there and who are probably lovely people but do the community work because their club tells them they have to you know they have to go to the community days go to the schools and this and that's fine but you've always gone well above and beyond and i know it's something you're passionate about that's actually turned into the, the organization that you that you founded like did you ever is it just something it was like you're always laser focused on what you wanted to do not worrying about what other say athletes or other people did it was just like this is what I want to do because you know it makes a difference and you actually care yeah I mean obviously I'd, yeah I I'd, I'd definitely care and I think you know it stems from my upbringing and having a little bit of support and guidance um, I see I've always been passionate about impacting lives. And I think it was obviously as a young kid, you're not really, you are selfish. You're not really worrying about others. Right. Um, and it was, it was only when I came back from college and um, yeah, as I said, like I was playing for the Perth Wildcats on $5,000. And so I worked three jobs and those three jobs I was working for at the city of Wanneroo as a youth support worker. And then later on, um, I work for Wheelchair Sports WA. Um, and I think those two experiences, obviously getting a space of um, inclusion and diversity and um, connecting, like going to the, um, the youth centres like for three hours. Um, that was like where I saw when you're talking about that light bulb moment, I was like the, the how powerful to have a role is or like a profile was because like I'd have some kid in the corner or sitting on the couch playing PlayStation that wouldn't say a word to anyone for like two hours and you're like trying to talk to them you're like um, probing and you're just like seeing how they are and that's fine but then like um, over time or you you know and obviously build a little bit of trust but then like you'd go like I remember bringing a poster to the youth center and um it was like it was a wildcats poster and there's me like on it mm. and then like just the shift and people like like hold on what are you doing here like you shouldn't be here um and then so like that obviously brings a little bit of introduction like why are you here like and you're yeah. like obviously i didn't say oh well i'm on five thousand dollars like i was like because i'm just like you you know like I want to give back. I want, I want to give that support. Um, and like, I didn't just go like, I needed a job. Like I didn't, um, I could have got a job at Foot Locker or Coles. Like yeah, I wasn't you're there. Like, you know, like you're volunteering there and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I, like, and, and the money I was on wasn't much. Like it was mm-hmm. a, you know, like a good rate, but the thing was, is I wanted to do something I loved. And so like, and that was connecting with, um, I guess, vulnerable people at risk youth, even though I don't, I'm not a big fan of that label now, but, that's what they labeled at. And so it was just doing that. And um, 
And then obviously, like, yeah, going into wheelchair sports, WA at the time was like a bit more higher up, a, a position with maybe a lot more responsibility. Um, and just to be able to, you know, you're talking about um, individuals that um, obviously disadvantage, um, a disadvantage in the opportunities that they're given. So, like, it's not even going, hey, we're going to run like a sports event. It was like, just giving them a call to check in how they're doing and to mm. make sure things are all right or how can I help you out? Like if you need assistance with groceries or all that, um, just knowing their names, you know, like, like young kids. And it's amazing. That's what like, a, that like you'd call. And as soon as they like, you play for the Wildcats. And then it was like, they, it was like, it was a surprise that I would respect them. Um, mm. And so that obviously grew, um, like as my role with the Wildcats grew, I guess I felt um, a responsibility to, to do more, to do more with that, with that profile and that role. And, you know, like I had um, some very close friends of mine, uh, people in very close to my network um, struggling with mental health conditions. Um, and like my brother is diagnosed with bipolar. And so like in another, like, and, you know, we talk about like the cultural shift, like it's happening right now. So with the Black Lives Matter movement and the mm. cultural shift in that, <coughs> pardon me, um, and the shift that is with mental health, which I still think has a long time ago. But I remember like even being in high school, it's funny, I was speaking to an individual, uh, a mate of mine who I went to high school with and he missed three quarters of a year through because he was, uh, he had depression. I remember back then like saying, I would love to have depression because like, um, oh, I, he missed three three quarters of a year and mm. he went to an outdoor camp on Rotnest. And I was like, God, I'd love to have depression. Like that's, you know, like, cause I just was so naive and uneducated about yeah. what that term, what that meant, what was that like now, obviously knowing like couldn't even get out of bed. Like, and you know, like I had to apologize cause yeah, I wish I would have done a lot more. But in saying that, um, obviously when I was, you know, a few years into Wildcats, I was like, I could do something here. Um, one, selfishly, I, I got involved because I wanted to help out those closest to me um, because I wasn't educated. I knew if you go to any organization, not for profit, and you say, hey, I want to be an ambassador, they're like, sweet, let's get him on board. Like, you know, we can get that. We can get a champion for our cause. So I did that. Like, And, and I didn't just hit up one. I hit up like every single mental health organization I, mm. I knew of in WA and then nationally and um yeah i came across you focus just because bo waters was a mentor of mine and he was sitting on the board and so yeah got that introduction um and that sort of started that that that's obviously the, the chain reaction and as i became more immersed like what it first started was hey let's you know promote the importance of mental health and, and what that is was very minute to what we do now but it was just like hey if you need support like reach out to these services or the importance um, you know, like a face, but I, I never wanted to be not never like I understand the purpose, but I, I don't just want to be a face of a campaign. Like for me, like I want to be active and hands-on approach, and hence that's how Stitch and Time was launched. Because for yeah, me, tell, tell tell me about that. Um, well, <coughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with it, but yeah, should explain yeah, more about I that. mean. Yeah. Like in in 2014, like we we raised it, we, we launched it primarily to raise money through auctioning off game worn sneakers mm. for you focus. 
And um, so that's all, that's initially, that's all it was going to be. Um, auction off shoes and then, you know, um, give money to you focus. And we were going to work hand in hand and, and try and deliver some programs. And, um, but like it comes with um, naturally you start connecting with a lot of people because people have a little bit of comfort. Like, you know, here's a Perth Wildcats player, even whilst I, I've never been diagnosed uh, with a mental health condition. Um, like me being on a, on a YouTube clip or a social media grab, like say, talking about it, people reach out. And so two years later, um, like I wanted in the off season, obviously was trying to get more and more immersed in that space. And um, I, I saw a real um, significant issue in Indigenous mental health and suicide yep. up in, in communities. And so I, yeah, wanted to become a bit more educated in that regards. Like I was just like, didn't really understand the landscape. Um, and so I like called up a friend of mine who was up in, in Derby. He was a principal and um, yeah, arranged flights, accommodation, booked it all. And um, yeah, I was like literally the next day I, I was like reading the newspaper and um, saw like a, yeah, said re- really tiny section, like 10 year old girl takes her own life in Luma. Um which is a community two hours outside of Derby. I, I didn't even know where it was at the mm. time. Um, and that still gives me bump, like goosebumps now, obviously being a, a parent now. But um, like, and that's when I talk about things happen for a reason. Like I remember seeing that, sending a text like, hey, I want to go to Luma. Like I didn't know it could be on the other side of WA. And he was like, oh yeah, it's two and a half hours away, two hours. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. And um <laughs> So yeah, like obviously getting in those communities and we still do considerable amounts of work with them and um, like give back. But that's been like since 2016 is that's where it was like we could do something here like to really impact communities. Um, And we're still like, you know, when I talk about understanding and knowledge, like I still, the funniest, but the best thing that happened to me um, was for me to be honest with myself and not knowing anything. Like I remember being asked to speak to elders and leaders of the community about, you know, this is what you should do. Um, But like after three or four days there, like um, learning um, like about their culture and their history and and the plight that they're in, like I, I stood in front of them and just said like, I don't have anything for you. Like, but what I do know is I can definitely help out. Like I can collaborate and bring in partners and bring in support and we can do this. And so I think that's um, a big thing that I've had to acknowledge and, and, and recognize is that like, sometimes you're not the best solution. Like sometimes people know more than you and you have to just go, cool, that's fine. Let's support that. So yeah. And now obviously we, we've, we've really expanded to, to running programs in metropolitan schools and that's with retirement that's allowed that like to do that. We're, we're working with state sporting bodies right now to implement wellbeing programs and really refine that obviously during COVID was such a significant time. Um, we maneuvered that to um, implement uh, a real basic, but I think really beneficial e-learning platform where people can learn, um, evidence-based self-care um, tools and techniques, uh, tools and techniques, evidence-based tools to manage their self um, well-being through self-care. 
and that's what it's about. And that's and we've we've refined it a lot. Like we've always been about sharing stories, but like when we first started, it was like there was no real outcomes. Like it was yeah. like, all right, let's yeah. go, let's talk about the importance of mental health. But yeah, if you want to really truly truly measure the success of a program, you've got to have some outcomes, and that's what we've done. And you know, some things can't get measured. Um, you know, I've, I've had messages at three in the morning, you know, from from individuals that. Um, are really, really struggling or have considered taking their own life. Um, and that's obviously a really tough thing. Um, and you don't take it lightly and you, you know, that obviously puts a lot of stress on an individual. Um, and that's things like you, you don't write on the annual report, oh, hey, I received this Facebook message or I got this text. Um, those lives have no definitive value but at the end of the day, you look at that and go like what you're doing and the amount of hours that you put in. Yeah. You'd never like when someone says, wow, you do so much. It doesn't really seem so much when you talk about the impact and what it can really do. So I think when you find that passion and that why um, it's just such a seamless thing that you wake up every single day going like, cool, this is what, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. A bit of, bit of purpose is important, mate, to find that thing that, that motivates you and the point you touched on about recognizing in anything that you do, particularly when it's from say a, a community standpoint, wanting to, wanting to help, you don't always know the answer or have the answers or the solution, but you can be a conduit to someone or something that does. And you know, I'm, I'm a, I love connecting with people and I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, like a helper, like by nature, I think, Oh, can I do this? And even if I know I can't solve whatever, issue or problem someone might have, I say, well, I might know someone who can, I'll just connect you with this person. You'll see what happens. They might be able to work with you and, and help this and, and help that. And, and that's the, that's the important part, knowing that yeah, you don't always have the answer to certain things. And, and I think that comes from listening a lot and not, you know, thinking like listening in general, they say, you know, it takes twice as much energy to listen as it does to actually speak as well. So I think there's some, some good lessons in there. And what, what would you say, so like in your time in with like a stitch in time, what are some of the big, what would be some of the key takeaways or big lessons that you've learned in that time? When two of them, um, the biggest one, uh, one of the biggest takeaways I look at is, like when people ask me, what can I do? And I think every single person has, every single person has the capacity to not only change life, but save a life. And why I say that it's not, I don't have, I don't have a psychology, psychology degree. Um, I've got my own journey, just like everyone does. Obviously I, mine's maybe more unique in the, in the way it was. I'm not trying to have like build myself up, but um but I've lived a, a, a pretty interesting life. Um, and obviously I'm more experienced in this space because I do it a lot. But why I say that is everyone has the, the capabilities and you just touched it. Um, everyone has the capabilities of listening um, and not judging. Like that is one of the most like single fundamental reasons. I think everyone can have an impact because like, you know, like how, how, you know, we, we sit there and, you know, I don't want to contrast a bit. It's like you, 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 you ask someone like what's going on, you know, and um, generally like they obviously are secluded and they don't really want to um, let you know, but 
like as soon as they start talking, like it might be an hour, might be an hour and a half, could be longer. That individual may have spoken the whole time and you may have never said a word, but that's all they needed. Like all they needed was a little bit of support. Like they need someone not to say, oh, hey, yeah, but what about this? Like, you know, and they end up answering their own problems. Like they they do that. They just need Mm. guidance. They need to know that there's someone there. There's hope like for them still. Um, Just to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's not like, don't get me wrong. There's like the importance of psychology. Like if you're at a certain point, you need to like therapy is is an, like I go see a psychologist, like it's as a part of my living, just like someone goes to the gym or someone goes, does yoga, like to see a therapist is like just as beneficial in my life, like as that. Um, So that's the thing. It's like, but everyone has the capacity. So when people say that, like you say that with campaigns, but I think just knowing that, because we just, so much people worried about, hey, um, you know, I str- I'm struggling. And they're worried someone's going to say, oh, why? Is it really that bad? Like all that sort of stuff. So I think that, and then I think the other big thing I found is like what self-care and putting the importance on mental health. Like, you know, for me, we say mental health and we say physical health, but I don't think... Well, I know that they're they're entwined, like they're not different, right? They're they're healthy. No, I'm, I was like, saying to someone the other day, like if you go through the year, you get like a, a flu or a cold or whatever, you take it. Like for me, if I, I don't get sick very often, thankfully, but if I feel like yeah. a cold or a flu coming on, I'll have my chicken soup or orange juice or I'll drink a lot of water. And I think the same goes for your mental health or your mental fitness. You know, there's times where you might feel a bit flat. So then you dedicate some self-care time there. Like you might need a bit of time by yourself or Absolutely. reading some books or meditating, whatever it may be. It's exactly the same thing. Absolutely. And this is, I mean, we, we, this is what we present about, but like, we spend every individual that listens to your show and when, and I'll ask them this, like how much money do you spend on your physical health? And I'm talking about diet, gym, um, the, the social activities that you do, you know, and why, why do you, why do you spend time, effort and money into your physical health, right? To look good, to feel good and for your occupation, no doubt, but ultimately it's to live longer. But then yeah. when I ask people, like, okay, I ask you the same, like, do you spend the same time, effort, money into your mental health as you do your physical health? People, like, they don't, like, they don't agree with that statement. Like, 75% of people don't. And when I ask them, like, why, you know, they go, oh, well, like, the importance. But ultimately, if you want to live longer, if you're not worrying about the single most important muscle in your in your body, which is your brain, because it's something that you can strengthen, like just like your biceps, mm. you know, then you're, you're kidding yourself. And like, I saw that as a professional athlete, like their skinnies in my life look good, you know, all this sort of stuff. But if things weren't going well upstairs and I'm talking, um, yeah, like when, when we talk about mental health, people straight away go depression and anxiety. Yeah. That's like, I mean, there's so many different mental health conditions. But like feeling an emotion of apprehension or being nervous or being feeling anxious or on the other side, feeling confident or that they're all emotions that deal with mental health. It's, it's fine. Like it's not, we have to remove the whole stigma behind our mental health. Oh, I need to be doing this. Like 
every single person has practiced self-care at some point in their life um, from doing exercise to practicing gratitude to mindfulness or that human connection, um, you know, and, and that is those things because those, and that's what I'm talking about those important. It's finding out what is important to you from your self care so that when you start going a little bit like off the, off the cuff and going like, I don't feel good. Generally it's because you've forgotten about the things that are most important to you. Now, like when I was in isolation, I felt overwhelmed. Like I remember sitting at an office desk crying. Yeah. Like, because I was just like, I don't know what's going on in my world. Like I was just so consumed by work, like family. It was just not like, and I sat there and then I, I wrote about it, but I was like, what's going on? Like why? And I was like, I haven't worked out in six days. I've been eating like crap. You know, my alcohol consumption increased. Um, I wasn't reaching out to my mates. Like, and then I was like, that stuff's that's free. You know, like it's not, Mm. oh, like all that. Like I just implemented these things and it was like, it wasn't rocket science. Like no one just went to me and was like, hey, I've just invented this new, new exercise for you or like this new app. Like it was just stuff that, and so when a lot of the things that we, we, um, look to we implement in our lives to look after our physical health um you know if you were to say that for me mental health like a lot of the things that we do are free like you yeah. know like that's i learned like the practice of, of gratitude like i mean obviously looked into a little bit more and there's obviously stuff studies but well, that's free and it doesn't take long and you know like that sort of stuff so i think it's finding out what those are like your triggers you know just like if you if you've got a cold or a flu, you know, like, all right, well, I know the signs, symptoms and cues, like I've got maybe a runny nose. I feel like crap. Like either I'll stay at home and just recover or I'll go to the doctor. But just like if you're feeling fatigued and overwhelmed and anxious, you know, those signs and cues, you should still be like, well, I'll implement these self-care techniques I know of, or I'll go see a psychologist, you know, yeah. or a rich yeah, because I think at the end of the day, Again, we place more emphasis on physical health as we do in mental health, but at the end of the day, they're entwined and there's no difference. Um, you're, you're preaching to the converted here, mate. And it's, <laughs> you talk about like the stigma. And I think there's a lot of, still a lot of stigma where around like often we only hear, and I'll say mainly as men, you know, we're known to not talk, share about Absolutely. stuff. You, you only hear about stuff when someone really drops their bundle, like they have a breakdown or they're in tears or something big happens. Whereas I have a lot of my mates, so I'm very lucky to have a, a, a circle of friends who, who check in on me, who hold me to account and go, Hey mate, haven't spoken to you in like four or five days. And we just pick up the phone and ring. And I've become very passionate about just the little check-ins and just go, Hey, going Absolutely. and they go, but actually not, and I'll, I'll say this probably in many, many podcasts, like not the throwaway line of like, hey, how are you going? Oh, yeah, good, thanks. And then it'd be like business as usual. They go, oh, you know, and some of my friends might say, oh, yeah, I'm a bit flat and go, oh, cool, that sucks. But, um, you know, what about the footy? Or And then you we, we divert with through like drinking or gambling yeah. or drugs or yeah. whatever people's vices may be. And it's just those little check-ins. Like, oh, that's shit. And like you said, not having to solve the problem for the person, but just listen, have them feel heard. And then, you know, we not saying, well, maybe if you tried this, or maybe if you tried to go, oh, that's shitty. And then say, look, I, I feel like that too. And knowing that this, these COVID times that we've had in the last four months, I've 
you know, with the work that, that I do for my mental health, like I realized I needed to, the times when I feel anxious is potentially when I get a bit of FOMO of maybe other people doing things or seeing other people up to stuff. And I realized I needed to get comfortable with my own self, you know, give myself a, you know, a bit of, bit of self love and the emotions that roll around for me, like on one day I can be feeling great, be feeling really happy. Then literally for no reason, the next day I can be feeling anxious or sad. Then the next day it's like elation. And I compare them to like waves just rolling up on a beach. You know, every day is going to be different. It brings a different emotion, but it's also never permanent. And yeah, but that's, that's my, I've got, I've worked hard on having this toolkit of knowing that when I feel certain ways, okay, like it's like if you've got a sore hip flexor or it's a bit tight, you roll it out, you know? So that might be one day I journal or one day I connect with a friend or I exercise all these things that I've learned and I by no means have the answer and not perfect, but that's what works for me right now. It's like a, a mental fitness regime. Uh, absolutely mate and like yeah i say that like everyone's got their own emotional toolkit and those yeah like as you said you spoke about that journaling um connection like they're all evidence-based tools and techniques that can manage your well-being and it's funny because like you know whenever like the natural reaction like especially say like covid we never really placed i mean people place importance in mental health but we saw that like once covid hit and we're seeing it and we're going to have like the second wave and all this like talk. It's like, shit, we really need to like focus on mental health. And like, I like, like go look at it and go like, wow, it would have been good for like the last four or five years. We're placing the same importance on mental health as we are doing it now because yeah. it would have been um, rectifying, fixing uh, like a lot of solutions because for me, not for me, but, we all suffer trauma in some way. And like why I say that, like, and there's no a definition of trauma is not um, like when, when I say trauma, people or grieving, like they think grieving of a loss, they think of losing a loved one. That mm. death is the very first one, but we all grieve. We all trauma. And when I say like, we just suffer for a pandemic, but people will break up with their partner, not yeah. make a basketball team the footy club will lose and you'll do that. Um, and so it's putting in those methods in place to go like, Hey, allow, allow yourself to grieve. It's a natural reaction and then start. Yeah. And then, and then that natural progression of moving on. And, um, and so like, that's the thing now we're seeing more and more emphasis on mental health, but like to touch on that way, things like that's huge. That's critical. And then understanding like if you have after three, four, five, dark days is to go well what the the tools and techniques i've been using are no longer working i might need to seek out some support yep you know um and i think that's massive there's still just this ridiculous amount of um stigma behind mental health and i can't and people can't tell me they don't like i look at it from mm. so many different angles like if an afl um guy comes down and says i start um suffer from a mental health condition what's the first response is he on drugs yep or is he on are they trying to hide something else yeah right why would an athlete want to consider doing that like to be criticized in that way i look at it from a business sense if um if uh and this is obviously like worst case scenario but let's look at a guy at deloitte and he's got an account worth five million dollars and on friday he says 
hey to his boss, I'm really struggling. I don't know if I'm going to be able to f- make this deadline. You know, um, I'm just, yeah, I'm not in my good space. Does the boss turn around and go, no dramas or no, make sure you get it done mm. and value a life over money. And so that's where I think it is. Um, you know, I just think there's still ridiculous amounts of stigma. I think, you know, just like the acceptance, yeah, obviously it's becoming more and more acceptable. Um, and we're seeing a lot more people open up. And I think obviously just because of education, we're seeing a lot more people diagnosed. That's just obviously going to be a natural mm. thing, right? But there is also a lot of like, if I was to stand in a room and say, hey, everyone in the room, um, put, raise your hand if you've suffered a rolled ankle, torn a muscle, mm. sprained a ligament, whatever it may be. I'd imagine every single person would raise their hand, like even yeah. irrespective if you're an athlete or not. But if I then asked, raise your hands if you're struggling from a mental health condition, bipolar, depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, like there would be reluctance. You'd have people raising their hands, absolutely. But there'd be people that would go looking across the table and going, how would they look at me? How would my boss perceive me? How would my mate see that, right? Mm. But I, I have a genuine belief that humans are really good people. Like I have a genuine belief that every single person's natural instinct would be of compassion, of the acceptance and willing, willingness to help. Um, and I think that's where we have to shift is yeah. to be like, it is an, as a perfectly acceptable behavior. Like I have some of my closest friends that still, there is no magic fix. Like I don't, have a wand and say, cured, you no longer deal with anxiety. Like I've got mates that I check in with that like, yeah, you're right. Like they go, fuck man, couldn't even get out of bed. Mm. Um, or like they're crying on the way um, to somewhere because, you know, they're, they're diagnosed with OCD and they're worried that they've left their tap on and they know they've turned it off, you know, and they're, and they're worried, but they've got their things in place to try and rectify that. Um, but they still live normal lives. Like you wouldn't know, like they rock up there um, and they have their bad days. Like that's just like every single person has their bad days. Like that's the thing. We've all felt anxious. We've all felt being nervous um, and it's, but we still operate. Like we need to mm. go, Oh, like I'm not diagnosed with mental health conditions. It's not important to me because statistics will show that at, at some point in our lives, we'll deal with, something you know yeah um and it's but, just putting those things in place to, to to help that that when you're talking about like everyone's experienced trauma on some level and it it really stood out to me last year when i was with a group of men at uh, at an experience and they're all like sort of sharing certain things and being in a, in a, in a practice of being vulnerable and some guys shared some really traumatic experiences that they, they'd been through, like loss of loved ones in, in terrible circumstances. And it got around to someone in the group and he got up and he, he said, look, he goes, hearing all of your stories here, some of yours are really heartbreaking. And he said, however, he goes, I want to get up and speak. And he goes, I internalized this for like four or five minutes before I said anything. But he goes, I, I sharing my story he goes, I feel like I don't compare because I've had, I've had a good life. I've had a good upbringing, went to a good school, you know, 
uh, the, the, the typical nuclear family, parents who love me, I've traveled the world, had success in my career. And he goes, but I still get sad. He goes, I still experience, you know, depression like symptoms and stuff. But in this world, I feel like I, it's, it's, and he goes, he wasn't putting it back on the other guys. He goes, but he feels like it's a competition of hardship. And I, I, I liken it to, it's almost like a tall poppy syndrome of the, the reverse. Like you don't know hard times. Like I know hard times. So your story is not valid. And I think throughout society, there's, there's, there's rich people, there's famous people, there's people of privilege and stuff who don't get any sympathy from anyone because they're like, oh, you've got money, you've got fame, you've got wealth or all this sort of stuff. So your, your story doesn't count, you know? And I, I, I personally like, can't cop that. I know there's like, particularly now it's come to light, there's, and not come to light, but there's probably more focus being put on it. So many injustices in the world and, and things that are not right that need to be fixed. But that's where I, and I, I think about that so much and, you know, if someone shows up in my life who's maybe not being very nice or a bit mean or whatever, I think there's always a reason why. Like everyone's got their stuff. You know, you, you, going back to the point, everyone experiences trauma. Everyone's uh, suffering is subjective. And even throughout COVID now, when people have been in like, oh, and you know, the mental health um, issues that are going to come from come from this is some people would be in conversation and go, oh, well, you know, when talking about your situation or someone else's situation or their own, it could be worse. And I would all, and I've started to check people on that and say, don't dismiss your suffering just because oh, it could be worse. So, of course it could be worse. I know it could be worse. You know, it could be worse. It doesn't make me feel any better if someone mm-hmm. says that. And just, just being very aware of our words and the way that we speak. And just, I think, a common sense and compassionate way moving forward is something that I'm striving to do. And, and I hope other people do as well. Absolutely. I mean, vulnerability is one of the, the one key attributes that I admire. Like I love seeing that even in um, sport, obviously now is like allowing, you, know, you see that with coaches. Like I love seeing people show emotion. We look at that and that's obviously a, a big thing. It's tough, but you're, you're completely right. Like, you know, like trauma And as I say that, like the way people respond to trauma, you can't dictate and criticize. Like if Mm -hmm. I go into a classroom and who, and there's obviously, let's let's strip it down. Like if I go into a classroom and I see a young kid crying, right? Um, Because he was playing with a balloon that meant the world to him and it popped and he's crying, right? That's trauma for him. Like mm. that's in a way, like we don't define it. Like that's trauma for him. Then the other side, we go to another and the other side of classroom and there's another kid that's like, okay. And, and has done really well. And he's smiling. And then you hear his backstory. Like he's just lost a sibling in a car accident. Yeah. And his dad is diagnosed with prostate cancer. Are they different? No they're still suffering trauma. Like I don't go to the guy, the kid in the, with the balloon and say, get over it, mate. Mm. You know what I mean? And I don't say to the other one, like, oh, well, he's crying. You're not. Like you should be displaying emotion. Like the way we do it, like there is no, we all will have um, varying levels of emotion. Mm. And it's fine. And it's funny like you talk about, it's even like when people with COVID and they were like, I've, I saw that. I felt it myself. Like people would be like, how are you doing? And I'm like, amazing. <laughs> like, yes. 
Yeah, you do. You, I, I, yeah, you don't want to. You feel bad. It's like, oh, I'm actually doing okay. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, you know, I love being out in public. Bit of an extrovert, but I my introvert sort of side came out. I was like, I'm with my family. Like, I love that. And I was like, don't I understand what's going on in the world? Like, you know, I just look like forty six thousand deaths in the UK. Like, mm. I understand the the magnitude of this, and I know there's a lot of people that are struggling. Like I had to be compassionate and, and, and display empathy in that way and put myself in, those, in their shoes. Like, but at a point too, I was like, I actually, I, I found a really good balance in my life. Like, it's funny how this pandemic, like you actually had a, what's the most important things in my life? Like I had a, like sort of a moment of clarity, but I was like, it's been good that everything's sort of for, even if it was like lockdown, but for like two, Two weeks. I understand people's livelihoods were, were in jeopardy. But like for a moment there, for two weeks when everyone was scrambling, I was like, well, these are these are the most important things in my life. So irrespective of if I lose my job or do this or do that, or you know, I need to focus on that. You know what I mean? And that was like that was a really good balance. Like a, how often in your life you can sort of just put a pause on what's going on, reset for a moment. Do you know what I mean? Um, it, yeah, it, it's it's been interesting. Absolutely. You touched on before, you know, something that you really relate to is like, you know, vulnerability. Like what are the what are the core values that Greg Hire has? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, like for me, like vulnerability is, is a display of strength. Like, if we were to ask personality traits of a man, of, of a male and a female, like they typify males as strong, I'd say funny because that's how I am. But, um, you know, like masculine, <laughs> provider of the family, even take it back from your prehistoric, you know, Neanderthal days, like you're the hunter, you're the gatherer, right? Like you do that. And then if you ask about a female, it's like kind, gentle, nurturer, it's like compassionate. Um, and you touched it before, like men, shit communicators, women, amazing communicators. Mm. Never once like will you go, oh, a woman's strong. But that's what I think is like a woman is like the strongest thing in the world. For two reasons. One, they allow themselves to be vulnerable and they communicate. Like that's for me a definition of strength is to, to be able to do that. And the other side is I saw my wife give birth to two beautiful children. Like that is the definition of strength. Like if you haven't known that, like I nearly passed out trying to imitate my wife during labor. Like, um, <laughs> so like, yeah, like, so for me is to, is to try and yeah, to display that, um, you know, like empathy and, and to, to try and put myself in, in, in um, other people's shoes and um, do that. Um, Gratitude is obviously a massive thing in my life. Um, and I know a lot of, it's obviously don't want to seem like a buzzword and there's obviously been a lot of research, but I think it stems a lot from my experience up in, in the indigenous communities and that their connection with nature and just appreciating what they had. And it was obviously emphasized when, you know, COVID hit and everyone was like, so, I mean, consumed on what they didn't have, you know, when you should have been appreciative of what you do have, you know, and that's the things that, yeah, don't cost a thing like your family or nature or time. And um, yeah, so that, that's been obviously that. Um, and then I think like the other mentality is for me, it's just been like to be the hardest worker 
like, and I know that sounds, but like, mate, I could, um, I've fucking battled my whole life. Like, sorry about the swearing, but that's all right. We've got the we've got the swearing approval and him explicit yeah, content. Yeah. We're good. But like, you know, I look back now and like, mate, like I would like, you know, and he, like I wasn't supposed to to be who I am in terms of like the, the track that I go. Like I go into Banksy Hill Detention Centre to teach um, basketball um, fundamentals and to connect. And I, I look at that and like, even when I walked in there, I was like, I wasn't too far off in being here. Um, and like, I was just bloody lucky that I had someone that reached out to me um, and obviously had a loving family. But um, yeah, like, for my everything that I've done's never been pretty. It's never been like the easy road. Like from an organisation, like you know, even here, like we, we we never do it for financial gain. Like the the charity, it's always been about the lives that's been impacted. Um, you know, and you see this like funding eight hundred thousand dollars, one point five mil, two point five mil, and like we received like ten grand just the other day. Like and I was crying, like in pure like joy, like yes. And like, then I go on a meeting and someone's like, oh, hey, you know, like I had, someone asked me if I wanted to work from, but I had to, um, and I was going to get paid significant amounts of money, but I had to like leave behind my IP. And I was like insulted. Like I was like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? Like, it's never been about that. It's been about the lives that we connect with. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a hard slog, but it's something that I've embraced. Like it's that grittiness. It's, that's, it's been who I am as an, as an athlete been who i am as a father like as a as a husband like things have never been easy for me but i've always just worked at it and and obviously things come my way um but it's never been something i'm like poor me Mm. like i don't go i wish it was a lot easier than that like i sort of love the hard stuff yeah you know like i it makes it that much more sweeter like when people like that's those championships like the the easier that my most satisfying obviously was one because we retired like and I finished but was like that year was the most difficult period of my life because like with issues with like people um being considered to being fired you know like best mates being replaced um to the amount of hatred and, and uh, abuse that we copped as a team that people I would know individually to walking into a, a post-game um, function to fans, like belittling us, like that we're not even, we're no longer basketball players. We're not, no longer humans. We're just a source of your entertainment. Like, and that hits mm. you. Um, like, don't tell me that, like it doesn't hit. I had this argument just the other week with someone because they said, Hey, um, like, just get off social media, like, do all that. And I was like, that's all well and good, man. But like, you can't tell your wife or your mom or your best mates like to get off social media. You know, mm-hmm. like they see that it's cons- like that they get consumed in that. And the other side is like, if you're a star player, earning all the big bucks, yeah, it's just like water off a duck's back. You just move on, mm-hmm. right? And they still struggle. They might say that, but I know they do. Yeah. Um, but when you're not the, the star player and you, um, you're the one, you're the scapegoat, you're the easy one, like that starts wearing you down a little bit. So like that whole season was like just this brutal year 
But then to finally win a championship after how hard it was, was bloody nice. And then you look at it and you're like, it's how my life's always been. And that was never this like, never things just was how it was supposed to be, you know? Um, and so I think that's been like that, this, that um, I guess display of grit has always been what I'm about. The sweetest thing, mate, a nice, <laughs> lovely, uh, lovely way to, to finish. I, I felt, you know, like in your press conference and this and that, but yeah, no better way to, to go out. And my, I give it a plug whenever I can, but my, my lowly footy career got the finish on a win with the grand final. So all, hey, all I wanted. And that's but, the thing, I remember hitting you up like, and you were saying, and, and it is like, you can't get better. Hmm. Like, um, and no, and everyone like, they, they appreciate it like more, but um, yeah, like it was, it was funny. Like, I mean, after I retired, and I was playing the off-season for Australia. I got more contacts from other clubs than I had ever done. Like saying, are you still keen on playing? Do you want to, would you consider a contract? Um, and I was just like, I'm fine. Like, you know, I knew I had, I could still play, but I just hadn't, like, I was content with where I was at in my life. I've, I've also reflected, and I don't know if you're the same, but when sport's a big part of your, part of your life, whether it be, you know, bigger for you because it was your job or for me like you know just something socially essentially I really reflected on the journey and like the grand final was great but then I reflected on the people I'd met the crappy times we've had the random times and it's just the whole it's a luxury to have say a a pinnacle to to finish on like a bookend almost but yeah I, I appreciated probably some other things upon reflection there more than say winning uh winning a grand final you know and it's uh yeah it wouldn't wouldn't change you can't, you can't define success for and that's the thing like what what's you winning like your footy championship like the that title could mean as much as me winning my nbl championship yeah and prestige and reputation mine may mean more because i mm. got paid it and there's more money but I was having this discussion and I, it was like sort of even like I was having that discussion with my wife. Like when I first started playing basketball, like I didn't do it for money. And um, like when I played SBL for one rewards, one of my more prouder moments was winning a championship. Like the club hadn't won in 18 years. But like seeing like um, a good mate of mine at the time, like crying in the locker room because he, it was his last game. Mm. And like, you look at that night at that time, I go, it's an SBL championship, mate. Doesn't mean anything. No one knows <laughs> next week. No one's going to care about it, but you can't define what that means to him. And you're right. Mm. Like it's because it's like what SBL is, is NBL to like, like what the NBL means to me might be the SBL for someone. Like, and it's that, that connection family. Like I'm sure, I mean, your old man was involved. Like you're yep. in a country town and you can't just like go, Oh, it's just not that good. You know, like, that's what sport does like it's ridiculous like you just can't compare it like you can't you can't bottle up that like if you could i think that's why athletes are always driven i think that's why they're really successful in the business world um that competitive desire you know like obviously there's, there's time management and commitment and sacrifice and all that sort of stuff but i think like in earnest of trying to win a championship you do like everything to get there and then to ultimately to reach that goal and you have to be sometimes a bit disillusion and crazy to, to do that like how I many i'm sure hmm. you were injured like i remember when you you fracture your face you know what i mean yeah. like <laughs> yep but right but for what like people would go for what for like your like country 
footy championship. Like, mm. And not once would he be being like, oh, it's not worth it. Um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's always an amazing feeling, I think, like getting that. But yeah, you can't, you can't dispute like what, what I, what an NBL championship meant to me as obviously my career. Like I look mm. at it and go, an SPL championship may not mean so much to me now because I've been able to accomplish so much. But I mean, if that's all you're playing, yeah, I'm never ever going to dispute the importance of that. Well, you are an accomplished man, and you're someone you. who I who I I deeply admire and respect, and you're you're an inspiration to me. And I don't use that word lightly, but uh, the way you go about it um, during your career, you know, post career, and I really enjoyed following along. And it's been a real thrill to finally have you on the show and to chat about this sort of stuff. And I just want to want to thank you for for coming on the show and and sharing your experience. Mate, I appreciate it. I'm a bit um, upset I wasn't your first, but there was some pretty heavy hitting <laughs> before, before me. So, I'm, uh, yeah, it's all right. It's all good. I, love, I bloody love you, mate. I've been – it's, it's, it's about time you did it because you were like toying and frying and, yep. and hearing your podcast. And, and I know there's been a, a lot of rave reviews. You're an absolute legend, mate. So, appreciate for having me. And, and um, no, you'll be, you'll be smashing it, brother. Well, I look forward to following your journey, mate. So, uh, you know, take care. Love it, brother. See you, mate.